0: Well, good morning, church. It's a real honor and delight to be here, to be able to
1: share with you a little of what God is doing around the world. Uh, We've seen some tremendous impact in the last 10, 15, 20 years around the world. If you want
0: to just look at the QR code that's up there, you can take a little click on that while it's there and and you can get a, a picture of what it is that God does through all of us collectively around the world to see that His gospel, His kingdom, that kingdom we were singing about this morning, is advancing not only here in Canada but in some of the the, the most desperately needy parts of the world. So, just want to say thank you to you for support and partnership of Mission Global wherever we are. You guys have been supporting a number of our global workers. I think of the Wileys and Prices in Thailand, of Phil and Judy Bowler in Guinea, of Kathy and Steve in Malawi. You support the Redmonds down in Brazil. Some of our RAN workers, uh, Ryan and Charity and Pat and and Gerald, we thank you for the support that you give to us. Also, in the Canadian context with John Engels and our emphasis on universities in Canada, Uh, Abbotsford Pentecostal Church has been one of our anchor churches through the years in terms of mission giving around the world. And so we just When I get a chance to come here, I just want to express my appreciation to you and encourage you to continue
1: to support uh, the global workers, the missionaries that uh, you support. also want to thank you for uh, the support of the Ride to Thrive
0: initiative. This is something I started four years ago where I was riding. I I, I like to cycle, and I was out on my, my, my bicycle riding. It was during COVID. And I was thinking about all those pastors around the world who don't have a safety net like we have in Canada, and everything is closed down, and they're trying to figure out how to survive. And so I started these Ride to Thrive to be able to raise some funds to help those pastors during COVID. This year, though, we shifted it, and we've been helping raise funds for children. Every year, our Villages of Hope, 10 of them in sub-Saharan Africa, Take in a new intake of pre preschool students. Thinking of that little girl that was just dedicated. She's going to get to go to school here in Canada. She's going to start in preschool. She's going to get an education all the way through. There are a lot of children in the world who don't get that chance. They don't get to start. And if you don't start well, it's very hard to catch up. So this year, we're making sure that on our watch, 300 children Are going to get into those 10 centers, 30 in each center, and they're going to get to start school. So, yesterday we didn't ride 100 kilometers. It's a bit smoky. I feel this morning like I smoked 10 packs of cigarettes yesterday, and I thought 10 was enough for one day. I didn't want 20. So, we cut it to 50, but thanks to Pastor Dave who rode with me, Pastor Aaron from Richmond, we had a good ride. There was another family, Nancy. Uh, Gibson and her boys went riding, and another lady was riding. So thanks to everyone who participated and for your support in what we do. The recent trip to Zimbabwe, my wife and I met two boys,
1: 10 and 11 brothers, who were starting grade one. And as I I listened to their story and
0: realized how far behind they are, I think how disadvantaged they are. If we can help kids get into school on time, at the right time, the right age, we're helping to ensure that they have a a great future. Well, hang on. I've got lots to share this morning. I have three scriptures I want to draw your attention to. Colossians 1, verse 13, for God has rescued us. He's rescued us. He's speaking about us right here. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loved. We have been invited into the kingdom of God. We have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. And we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Acts 26, this is where Paul is recounting when Jesus called him and asked him to follow him and be a disciple of his. And Jesus gave Paul this instruction. He said, get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen. I like that. A servant and a witness. Those are the titles that we need to carry with us in life. We are servants and we are witnesses, all of us. It's what we're called to. He says, I will rescue you and I'm sending you.
1: We've been rescued. Now we're being sent. I'm sending you to the world to open their eyes,
0: to turn them from darkness to light, to rescue them from the kingdom or the dominion of darkness and bring them in to the kingdom of light, to rescue them from, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins. We are servants. We are witnesses, all of us. And we're invited to participate with God in his rescue mission in this world so that people will be turned from darkness to
1: light, from the dominion of Satan to the kingdom of God. Last verse, Acts 1-8, very familiar to us.
0: Jesus said to those he called, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So he gives us this responsibility, and then he empowers us with his Spirit to fulfill it. He doesn't leave us without the tools, the empowerment, the Spirit of God necessary to go into the world. And he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Abbotsford, Fraser Valley, that's your Jerusalem. And you'll be witnesses in Judea. Think of British Columbia and all that's happening in this province right now, and the needs of this province. That's our place of witness. And in Judea, think of, or Samaria, think of Canada. We have a responsibility to our nation.
1: And then to the ends of the earth. And we don't do these things in order. We do all four at the same time. We are
0: responsible for our own neighborhood, for the wider neighborhood we're a part of, our nation, Canada and we are responsible for the world. And he says, I've called you to be my servants and my witnesses. Now go into all the world and preach. Well, let's think about that world for a moment. Eight billion people live in the world today. They decided that on, I think it was November the 15th, the eighth, eight, the eight billionth baby was born. I don't know how they determined that, but somebody decided I wonder what that 8 billionth
1: baby got for being the 8 billionth one. 8 billion of us. 3.2 billion, a third of us,
0: have little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: They live in a part of the world where there's no Bibles, no churches, no witness no
0: opportunity to say yes to Jesus because there's nobody to tell them.
1: I can show it best on this map here. See all those green countries of which Canada is a part. I would
0: never suggest to you that there's no work to be done here in Canada. This is an incredibly needy country right now. We know that. We think of the social issues that we're facing in this country. We need to pray for our country. My goodness me, does it have great need. But the truth is, as I came here driving this morning, I probably passed six or seven churches. The point is that the church is present here. It's present here, it's present in the U.S., it's present in most of uh, South America, most of sub-Saharan Africa. My parents spent 20 plus years in the country of Kenya. Cindy and I spent 20 years in Zimbabwe. We have invested a lot of people and money in sub-Saharan Africa. You'll see that it's green now, which means the church is present in that part of the world by God's grace. And it's a powerful church. It's a great church. And we thank God for what he's done. But look at those brown countries. There are places where you could go and shake the hands of 100 people thousand people and not shake the hands of another believer. The church is not present. You drive through some of the cities in those parts of the world and you don't see churches. You see temples, you see mosques, but no churches. At the same time, 1.2 billion people have little access to the basic necessities of life. Food, housing, clean water, education, health care. They live on the margins of society, 650 million in extreme poverty. And again, I'll show it to you on the map here. All those nice blue countries, we live well. I know that we're facing inflation and high interest rates, and some of us are feeling the pinch of that today. But let me tell you, in comparison to how people live in so much of the world, we need to get up every morning and be grateful for all that God has given us in this nation. We need to be grateful. And so we have a strategic focus within Mission Global. Our strategic focus is that 3.2 billion that have never heard, little or no access, and the 1.2 billion who have little access to the basic necessities of life. You can see it this way a little bit better because it, it shows you the, uh, the, the, the percentages. There's more people without access to the gospel than without access to the basic necessities of life. But right where they meet, right in the middle, when you, you find people that have, are missing on both ends, that's where we want to be with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be present where the need is greatest. And what do we want to do when we get there? Well, we want to have an impact of some kind. We want to make a, a difference in this world. And so we have an impact statement, and that impact statement just talks about the fact that we want to establish self-sustaining, self-supporting, self-governing churches that multiply themselves and continue to advance the kingdom long after we have left. I had the privilege of going to Burundi this last June for the 10th anniversary of the church in Burundi. It was started by this lovely couple sitting down here, the Comants, 10 years ago, you go there today and you find this vibrant, lively church. Pastor Dave was there, incredible music, incredible life, and it is advancing the kingdom. It's multiplying itself. It's not dependent upon us in any way. That's what we want to do. That's what we've done in Zimbabwe, where my wife and I worked for 20 years. We no longer have any Canadians that are in Zimbabwe. We still stay in partnership. We are friends. We are workers together with God. We help one another. We pray for one another. But the kingdom is advancing. But it's not that way everywhere. Another one of my favorite stories is the country of Cuba. Cuba had a strong church, about 300 churches, when Castro became the president of Cuba. He brought in a communist philosophy. They lived under the skies of communism for years. The church was oppressed. Pastors were imprisoned. Church buildings were confiscated. They were isolated from the world. You hardly knew what was happening. By 1970, they were down to about 30 churches. It looked like they had been We're being squashed and defeated, looked like the devil was winning. 1982, my father had an opportunity to go in there, one of the few people able to go back into Cuba and meet the church. Since 1989, we've had Canadians going down there regularly. But I want you to know that God stirred up a revival in Cuba and the church began to revive itself and grow again. And while it's still under some restrictions, it's grown to what they would count approximately 9 to 10,000 churches house churches across the country today and not only that they are training and sending out missionaries from cuba to the rest of the world even though it's one of the poorest countries in the world that's a self-governing self-sustaining multiplying kingdom filled spirit filled church of god that's advancing in its own way another story i could tell you is the bangladesh story i've had the privilege of going to bangladesh for a number of years it's a country of about 170 million people you'll see if you can see on that map very well the, in red there the city of Dhaka. down to the left there the city of kolkata those two cities are about 200 kilometers apart as the crow flies maybe a little bit more the truth is, their population is the same as all of Canada. Those two cities alone, if you squished everybody from Thunder Bay to Victoria and squished them all together, that would be Dhaka. Everybody from Thunder Bay to St. John's, Newfoundland, squished them together, that's Kolkata. All of Canada lives in a radius of about 300 kilometers. Incredibly populated, desperately needy country in the world. 87% Muslims. So we go into that country and We'll, we've we got a church that we work with there that uh, I had the privilege of meeting the leader of about uh, 17 years ago. And we'll go in there and we'll start by by helping them to meet the needs of community. We help the church to meet the needs of community. And so they put in water wells. This is in a, a Muslim community where they went in and dug a well. It was pouring rain that day. And you think, why do these people need a well when there's so much rainwater? It's because their water's not clean, arsenic all through the subterranean area, and so they have to dig deep to get clean water. So we help them to get clean water, and then we'll we'll bring in the word of God, and you'll you'll see here our, our our friend Brent Candelon that used to be pastoring at CLA, still here in the Lower Mainland. We're praying for his wife these days, but he and I have been over there, and we we bring Bibles. We've helped to make sure that the church has all of the Bibles they need, and then. they're they're reaching out to the Islamic community, and so they've started house churches. And you see these little house churches, and you go in and you meet these people. My son Jason was there recently and, and hearing the stories of some of these people. In this year alone, it's not easy. We've had three members of our Bangladeshi church martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. They've given their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not always easy. And then we come along and we bring training, and we have this new program that we've developed called the Ministry Essentials Training Program, it started in 2020 during COVID. It's now in, in I think, 16, 16 languages, 14 countries. But this is training. In many of these places, the church is exploding, and we can't train enough pastors through our formal systems. And so we come alongside and we provide training, make sure pastors are trained, they get basic education, and they can lead the people well. So that they will become a self-sustaining, multiplying movement as the kingdom of God advances. You know what Jesus said? The kingdom of God is like leaven in the bread. You get it inside there, it grows all by itself. It's, It's it's a living the church is a living, powerful organism that's alive,
1: and around the world today it's advancing in tremendous ways. so around the world, this is sort of a, a very simple picture of our of our uh, mission family.
0: Uh, we have about three hundred global workers that we support around the world we are in 80, working in eighty five countries we have Partners that we work with everywhere, national churches, we support them. We want to see them grow, develop, advance. About 12 million adherents that we would see as part of our larger PAOC global family. About 40,000 pastors, 52,000 churches. So you can see over the last 100 years, 120 years, God has grown our family around the world. But we're also part of a bigger family, what we call the World Assemblies of God family. And I wanted to share this with you because of a particular initiative. 164 member councils. This would include our friends down in the United States, the Assemblies of God. That's our sister church. And we're in about 144 countries, about 70 million adherents around the world. That makes us the
1: fourth largest Christian communion in the world today. Collectively, we have a dream. We have a vision, something we're working toward. It's called the Million Church
0: Mandate. By the year 2033, 2,000 years, you realize it's been 2,000 years since Jesus commissioned his church. And still there are 3.2 billion people who haven't heard. The task is not done. But we want to offer back to the Lord 1 million
1: churches. We have about 400,000 today. We have a lot of work to do. But I'll tell you how that's going
0: to happen. It's not going to happen just because Canadians and Americans are going. It's going to happen because from every country, people are going. I was recently a part of a sender summit. You can see this picture here. This was a group of people. They gathered from all over the world, Latin America, Europe, Asia, Africa, North America, Oceania, we were all there. And collectively, many of these countries, El Salvador, uh, even Zimbabwe, which has just gone through elections this past week that didn't go so well. They never go well. Uh, it's, not, it's one of the poorest countries in the world right now. They have 100% inflation. Their, their dollar is collapsing for about the 15th time. It's a mess. But right now, the church in Zimbabwe has two people who have gone to Egypt. They're there right now, and they're scouting out how they're going to send global workers from Zimbabwe to Egypt and to North Africa. All of these churches, these represented 71 different countries. We didn't get everybody there. But they are all committed to work together, to network, to collaborate, for this great end-time advance
1: of the kingdom of God around the world. Something to pray into, something to pray about. Egypt is one of those countries. I'll be going there next week, and we work
0: together with the church in Egypt, and it's really a very exciting development in the last five years, as Egypt is developing and preparing to send out workers. They now have they now have eight, eight missionaries that they've sent out from Egypt into neighboring countries. If you look at the next uh, map there, you see all those red dots representing unreached people groups in North Africa. They're trying to send as many Arabic-speaking missionaries into that part of the world as they can. You see on this next picture that here was a cohort that we are a part of training. These people are being trained to go. Egyptians from the Egyptian Assemblies of God. In the last eight years, the church has grown by 25%. So we're very thankful for what God is doing through the church in Egypt. This is Pastor Hani, who uh, I'll be meeting with. We work with him. He unfortunately couldn't come to our Sender Summit because the U.S. wouldn't give him a visa, one of the challenges we face. That's what God's doing in the world today. Let me go back to my text, Colossians 1.13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Two stories that absolutely captured my imagination in the last 10 years are rescue stories. The first, you'll remember the story down in Chile when the 33 miners were trapped for 69 days 2,300 feet under the ground. It was 17 days before it was discovered that they were still alive. And then the world started to work. How can we get these guys out? How do we rescue them from the darkness of that cave, 2,300 feet under the ground? I remember when they finally got to the place, they had this little thing called a phoenix that they used to bring them out. And they brought them out one at a time I stayed up all night and watched every one of those miners come out. I just couldn't help it. I just had to see it all. The first one, he, his, his wife had had a baby while he was down there. And so they sent him out first. And when he came out, there was his new baby to greet him. And you, you just weep at rescue stories. Well, the second story, you guys probably know it well, was the story of those 12 boys on the soccer team and their coach that got trapped in that. Cave. They went cave exploring. There was a flash flood. They got trapped inside. On July the 12th, after advancing through narrow passages, two British divers finally found them. It had been
1: 11 days they were in that cave. It, imagine total darkness, no food, wondering how you're going to survive, wondering if anybody's coming. And they are
0: They were four kilometers inside the cave. That's how far they had to go to find a safe place. Well, I'm going to show you a little video here
1: about their rescue and then use it as a parable to draw some simple lessons for us today. Go ahead, let's play that. Breaking news right now out of Thailand. Rescue teams are working through the night to save 12 boys and their coach trapped inside a cave. The monsoon had come early. The conditions in the cave were impossible. There was a very strong feeling that the children couldn't be still alive. We need expert cave divers out here. The Thai Navy SEALs put everything they had into it. But only this group of people who do it as a weekend hobby has those skills. I was thinking this this has actually got our name all over it. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face, trying to wriggle through holes that I couldn't wriggle through, finding a bigger space, sliding through and then repeating again and again. How how many of you We look into each other's faces, thinking we may be the only ones that ever see them. Finding the boys was the easy part. They didn't have a clue how to get those kids out. We didn't think it was possible to dive the children out. We came up with the actual logistical plan. I told him that's a horrible idea. And Rick said, what if it's the only idea? We were brutally honest. We promised multiple fatalities. It's about controlling your emotions and your fear. Panic is death in the cave. My mind was on overdrive. My God, am I going to be good enough? If they die, it's going to tear me apart. If you don't die, everyone will die. I told the guys, this is a one-way trip. Once you start, you cannot stop Believe. Believe. So here are some simple thoughts to close today. The divers said the conditions were impossible. When we look at those
0: 3.2 billion people that have had little or no access to the gospel, it's not easy
1: to go where they are. There's reasons why they've never heard. There are restrictions. There's opposition. But we serve a God of the impossible. He will make a way. He will
0: open doors. He will provide opportunity. If we will be obedient and seek Him and seek His ways, He will open doors for us in places that it seems impossible to go today. We absolutely believe that we're going to see something tremendous happen in the Islamic world over the next few years. It's already happening. More people of Islamic faith have come to Jesus in the last 20 years than in the 700 or 800 years before that. Something is happening today. You heard the divers, one of them said, this actually has our name all over it. Well, just think about who those expert divers were. Those expert and there were five British divers who helped bring these boys out. These were people who do cave diving as a hobby. I ride a bicycle as a hobby. Cave diving does not interest me in the least. I can't think of anything else I would rather not do than go wriggling through a cave, hoping not to panic, because I would panic. They do this as a hobby, but they they have this special equipment, and the Navy SEALs couldn't get through. But these five men and those other divers that helped them managed to find these boys and figure out how
1: to get them out. There's something that's got your name on it as well. God has something for all of us. This rescue mission
0: that God calls us to is not something for just specialized people. Sure, there are specialist missionaries to go to specialist places. I understand that. But every single
1: one of us needs to say, what's got my name on it? What's my place in building the kingdom of God? Maybe you're here this morning, and you are one of those, and God's
0: got his name on you, or your name on something he wants to
1: do, especially in the international global world. Well, come and talk to us. We want to help make sure that anyone who is called will be sent. You actually are fortunate,
0: this church, because you have Nancy Gibson right here. And Nancy is our mission uh, personnel director for Mission Global. And she's the person, if you ask me, how do I get started? I'd introduce you to Nancy. She's right here in your church. So make sure you talk to her if something's got your
1: name on it. Third thing they said is, if you don't dive, everyone will die. Those
0: boys in that cave, they thought of different ways to get them out. They thought, let's just leave them in there till the monsoons are over. We'll keep taking them in food. The problem was You guys know well enough, if you keep breathing the same oxygen, it soon gets poisonous. So that wasn't going to work. And actually, the day after they got the last of the boys and the coach out, the whole cave flooded. It was never going to not completely fill up with water. If those men did not dive in there to find them, those boys
1: would have died. If we don't go, people will die. Spiritually, eternally because we were not obedient to go and tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. The one young man you saw on there, they said, what if it's the, they,
0: they, they, the idea they came up with is they had to sedate the boys and dive them out under sedation, which that young American guy said, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> and he's right. You don't put people under sedation when you're trying to breathe through the All kinds of things can go wrong. But in the end, they said, what if it's the only idea? It's the only idea we have. It's the only thing we've come up with. Well, I just want to relate that to Jesus for a moment. We're going to celebrate his communion in a little while. God had a problem, and that was how is he going to save these creatures called man, humankind, that he had made?
1: He had to honor his holiness. And there had to be punishment for sin. God came up with an idea,
0: the only idea, the only way. And that was for Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. It's the only idea. It's the only message. It is the only hope. It is the only truth
1: that is the answer to the human condition, the human predicament that we face today. The support system to rescue these people was incredible. Incredible. More than 10,000 people volunteering, 100
0: divers, 100 governmental agencies, 300 police officers, 2,000 soldiers, 10 police helicopters, 7 ambulances, more than 700 diving cylinders. They pumped more than a million dollars, a million dollars, liters, a 1000000000 sorry, a billion liters of water they pumped out of that cave so that it wouldn't fill up too soon. An incredible effort from around the world to save these 12 boys. Friends, we can't do Mission Global without the support system of our churches across Canada. We can't go without you. We can't make a difference in the Islamic world. We can't go into those countries in North Africa and the Middle East and across Southeast Asia, the Wileys, the Prices, Gerald and Pat's, Brian and Charity. They can't go without the support that they get from this church, and we have many others that need support. Friends, we've got to work this is something we do together. We do together. It's one of the great advantages of being a part of a fellowship of churches across Canada that we can join hands together and do something globally that you can't do alone. You can't do it alone. I know we we have an African proverb that says, if if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Truth is, it's not quite correct, because the truth is you can go faster and farther when you go together the birds, the Canada geese that fly south, they know that they can go faster and further because they go together. Cycling 50 kilometers yesterday, it's a lot easier when there's
1: three of you instead of just one. You can go faster and further. We're workers together. We're in this together. And friends, we need to believe, just as that Man
0: said to those boys, believe. I think he was trying to instill confidence in those boys that he would be
1: back. But I think he was probably speaking to himself. We need to believe that collectively we can make a difference in this world. That the church is the most important institution in the whole world. Us. You and me. We have been rescued, and now we are witnesses and servants. What's the attitude that we should have in this world? What are we
0: Christians to do in the midst of the increasingly crazy world in which we live? Inflation, high interest rates, cultural, sexual, gender confusion, division, all kinds of things happening. You
1: know, it's easy to get angry, anxious, withdraw, not my business. I'm just going to look after myself. No, we're not to whine about the moment
0: in which we live. We're not to complain about the moment in which we live. We need to understand the times,
1: its unique problems, and be servants and witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ and make a difference in this world. Just as he said to Paul when he said, now stand up,
0: I'm sending you, I rescued you, I'm sending you, he's saying the same thing to us today. So my challenge to you is as we
1: gather around the communion table and you remember what it is that Jesus did to rescue you, Ask yourself the question, what are you willing to do to rescue others? God bless you, church, this morning.